I heard that you were going to be the candidate for the Libertarian Party, which would have been very exciting. I'm glad I'm not running against you. That would be very formidable. You'd be the most formidable opponent I have. But uh, what happened? Well, th well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Yes, there, there were. I was considering it for a period of time. There were a lot of people in the Libertarian Party who wanted me to run. Ultimately, it just came down to kind of uh, family decisions. I have two very little kids, and it just seemed like a little bit too much for me to, to take on right now. Um, we went through a lot of things. My, my son had some serious health problems. Um, all better now. He's doing great. But it was just a little bit a little bit too much of an undertaking for me in 2024. But maybe maybe in 2028, we'll, we'll go head to head. Would you consider the vice presidency? Oh, man. <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? You're going to offer me a vice presidency on a Kennedy ticket? That's dangerous. I might end up being president or something like that. I've uh, actually that probably it'd probably be good insurance for you because I'm no LBJ. I don't think they want to get you out of the way. Exactly why I want you. <laughs> so that's it. You want me as your uh, life insurance program? Okay. All right. You're you know worst, what? Well played. First version of myself that nobody is going to want. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there you go. Okay. So I'll, you know what I might, in, in that case, I might consider it. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Thank you once again for tuning in. Please hit that like button, subscribe, leave a comment, do all the things. So, wow. Huh? I know everybody's wondering it. Is this actually a possibility? Is this actually what's happening behind the scenes? Is there, is there horse trading going on? Is there negotiations? Could we possibly have an independent, if a Kennedy step into the Libertarian Party as the presidential nominee? Fascinating development. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the analysis from my perspective as to the pros and cons. Now, before everybody gets upset, this is analysis. This is not an endorsement. I'm going to tell you why I think it could be good and would be bad both. So first off, the pros. What are the pros? Well, the Libertarian Party is unlikely to do better than a few percent, especially if Mr. Kennedy is running as an independent, in which case you already have a third option, which is going to absorb a huge amount of votes for the Libertarian Party. Number two. If the LP were to get over 5%, they get federal funding and all sorts of, you know, perk benefits basically become a, a major third party in this country. And I, I will not diminish that at all. I think that would be a really, really big deal. Uh, what else? Obviously media, the media would cover him a lot, no doubt. And I think that you would get a lot of press not just on you know TV, but podcasts, internet, write-ups, New York Times, all these articles. It would it would definitely bring a level of seriousness with in terms of coverage at least to the campaign and to the party that we have never seen before. So lots of lots of positives in terms of just getting votes. If that's all you care about, it's probably not a bad idea. Now, the other reason that this becomes interesting or a positive is that it would get Dave Smith in there. And I think that's what we all want to see. So that would be amazing. I would love to see Dave, uh, you know, all of, all of the weaknesses that RFK has. Dave would obviously supplement in a brilliant fashion. He would be an incredible spokesperson 
on the campaign trail, doing all sorts of media. Uh, I, I see no downside to Dave getting involved. That's the whole reason I got involved is because I very much wanted to see that happen. Uh, now, I wanted to see him run for president. As he said in that clip there, he declined due to family issues and things like that. Totally fair. But if RFK asks him, and if that means it's such a huge boost to his career, maybe he considers it. Maybe that's that's what brings Dave Smith off the sidelines. And he goes, yeah, all of the downsides, they're still there. But the upside just got a lot bigger because I'm going to be heard by not just tens of millions of people, but 20, 30, 40, 50 million people. I mean, that would be global exposure. That is definitely a career-changing opportunity. He's already on a good path career-wise, but that would definitely take him to the next level. I think Dave would admit that himself. So, for that reason alone, I can't just dismiss this out of hand because I very much want to see Dave be our spokesperson. I want to see him on the biggest platforms. Now, the downsides. I think they're, they're significant, and uh, I'll let you decide if they outweigh the pros. The Mises Caucus took over the Libertarian Party just a few years ago. They haven't even had a, a single shot at having one of our people be the presidential nominee. We haven't had it. Joe Jorgensen was the last nominee, and there's never been, at least not in recent memory, anybody that was uh, you know, really charismatic and really talking that Liberty shit like a Dave Smith. So we haven't had it. And the whole concept of the Mises Caucus takeover of the Libertarian Party was that we wanted to have a real Ron Paulian figure, but the charisma is a nice perk benefit, but a real Ron Paulian figure that could go out there and get our message to the masses and perhaps bring in the Liberty Movement, which has always basically been orbiting around the Libertarian Party, but not within it. The vast majority of libertarians, there's millions and millions and millions of libertarians in this country, and almost none of them are involved with the party because they don't have any faith that a third party has any hope or they have disagreements with the leadership or whatever. There's lots of reasons, but that was the whole idea. If you get a Dave Smith, Ron Paul type figure to run for president, all of a sudden that liberty orbit becomes the liberty center and you can actually have... A, a real viable third party in this country, which I think even people that aren't libertarians would like to see just simply because the duopoly sucks and most people are sick of it. And I think that would be a, a huge positive. Now, the real negatives. <laughs> the, the real negatives is that if, if we go this route and you don't have one of our guys take that mantle, well, then I think it's fair to say that the takeover was a failure, that you have not had even one presidential cycle where our people were the messenger, were pushing the ball forward, were, uh, you know, waking people up into our worldview. So I think that's that's a massive downside. Now, the, the bigger downside, in my humble estimation, is that RFK Jr. is not a libertarian. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> took me about eight minutes to get there, but he's not a libertarian. He's not. He's very, very good when it comes to the FBI and the CIA and the Ukraine war. There's a handful of other things that I think he's not terrible on. Uh, FDA, CDC, Fauci, uh, lockdown era. All Those are really, really important things. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing it. But he's also terrible when it comes to economics. 
absolutely terrible, wants to do uh, some sort of government bond scheme. I've covered it in prior episodes. I'd have to go back and look to remember all the details. But basically, he wants first-time homebuyer, guaranteed loans, locked-in uh, mortgage rates, and all sorts of socialism trying to reignite the housing market, which is already at all-time highs. It would be catastrophic. The, the bubble would go to astronomical heights and ultimately the first time home buyers when that market inevitably fails would be the ones that are left holding the bag as well as the banks. So it would not be good. And, and the taxpayer, needless to say, because it's always <laughs> at the foot of the taxpayer at the end of the day, is it not? But the real deal breaker, from my opinion, is his position on the Palestinians. And he... For whatever reason, I'll allow you to theorize as to why, but he is totally unwilling to give the, the same level of analysis that he gave to the Russia-Ukraine war, demonstrating that he is more than capable of doing so. Very, very, very capable human being. He can do the analysis. He can see behind the curtain. He can dive deep. He can understand that there are provocations, that our state department's involved, all this other you know, lead up to Russia's invasion. He's very good at explaining it. So that means he's capable, which is a problem in this case, because it, he his position on the Gazans, the Palestinians, has been that they're the most uh, coddled or pampered, I forget what the exact language was that he used, people on the planet. The people who 30,000 plus civilians have perished untimely over the past few months, and they're the most coddled people on the planet. Talk about tone deaf. Talk about, I mean, even if you think that the people of Palestine have been coddled, which I think is obviously nonsensical, given that they've been sieged for decades now, <laughs> that's not coddling. Hello. But even if you did believe that, well, it's really a bad time to say that, to say that they've been coddled as they are actively being bombarded. Really, really tone deaf. Absolute campaign killer is best i can tell this guy was like on the rise he was everybody everybody was talking about him very very positive coverage he's running as a former democrat a long time legacy democrat a kennedy for god's sakes obviously he's trying to appeal to the 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 remnant of the democrat party that still believes in anti-war principles and he goes and he says something like that as i said before even if he believes it Terribly tone deaf, terribly politically unsavvy. Big, big mistake. So for that reason alone, given that Dave has been kind of our champion in terms of explaining the Israel-Palestine Israel uh, conflict or war over the past four months, that's, I mean, they're, they're just diametrically opposed. I mean, they could not be further apart on this issue, as best I can tell. And uh, for those that want to watch that full conversation, it's it's premiering right now. I've only seen half of it, obviously, but it is uh, over on part of the problem. And you can go check that out. It's, uh, it's a barn burner. <laughs> Dave does not hold back. But what's fascinating about it is that very early on in the interview, RFK hints at, Dave, you were supposed to run for president. How about you just be my VP? And Dave doesn't entirely shoot it down. Now, I'm of the opinion, knowing Dave as well as I do, that RFK's position on 
Israel-Palestine is a deal breaker. And I do not believe that he will tie his name, his efforts, his legacy, whatever you want to look at it as, to an RFK Jr. campaign that seems to be carrying water for what many people perceive to be ethnic cleansing or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that that would be just reputationally devastating. And, and it's ultimately more than that. It's just principally wrong. You know, it's not, it's not, Dave is a real anti-war non-interventionist. Like he really is. So I think from his perspective, no matter how much respect he's shown to RFK, and I, I think it's sincere, I think he, he wanted him to be great. I think that that issue is enough that it will make it so that Dave won't do it. Now, I don't even know if Dave would do it if he was great on that. You know, maybe he's totally out because of his family dynamic and everything else. But I think that issue alone was enough to to really make it a non-starter. And I have it on, you know, rumor mill authority that, you know, some sort of announcement is coming down. Angela McArdle, the chair of the Libertarian Party, uh, tweeted that out midday. And there was no hint as to what is com what is to come from that. Uh, she said that Dave Smith has a major announcement, or she thinks. Um, I don't know what it could be. <laughs> I'll just be I'll just be straight with you guys. Uh, you know, knowing Dave as well as I do, I I just can't I can't envision it. You know, unless unless Dave's thinking about running for VP and and attaching himself to someone else who's currently in the race, maybe. I still find that very hard to believe just simply because like if you've already decided that it's too much stress or whatever to put on your family to go from the presidential slot, why would you opt for the VP slot? Now, I can I can explain a little bit as to why he might, though, because the whole reason I entered into the VP slot instead of the presidential slot is because I don't want to go to the, all 50 state conventions. I work too much. I can't possibly do it. It's it would be brutal. The only time I ever have off, and I don't even usually have most of my weekends off, but if I have any time off, it's going to be the weekends. That's when all the state conventions are. Am I going to spend every weekend for the next four months going to these conventions to try and get delegates, get support, and, and to ultimately get the nomination? On top of that, I don't want to do it. <laughs> not, only, not only would it be brutal, but I don't, I don't really want to be the top of the ticket because... It's just not anything I've ever envisioned for myself, and I'd really not. I'd prefer not to enter the the uh, media tornado in that way. It would be not fun. Um, but the reason I, I decided that I would do the VP slot is because I, I have probably the largest platform of anybody that's willing to do it, and I think that I can convey our message in a passionate and compelling way. That as of yet. There's nobody else that's running in the VP slot that can do it as well as I can. If I see someone that can, like if Dave were to say, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm in, I'd be like, I'm out, bye. And I would do everything in my power to get Dave that nomination. So, you know, well, just to show full cards, full disclosure, not holding anything back. This is uh, exactly how I feel about all of it. And we'll find out in the next 24 to 48 hours. If Dave is actually considering that, if RFK is actually considering that, and what would that mean for the party? I mean, it's essentially a lease. It's like you're you're leasing the party after this takeover. You're leasing it to a guy who is definitely not a libertarian. If he's got maybe 20% shared beliefs, maybe more, slightly, uh, 
but that's definitely a lease out. That is a, it's a sellout. Let's just be, let's just tell it how it is. That would be selling out our principles because we want to get seven, eight, nine, ten 10%. And maybe that's the only way we get it. And maybe that's the, the prudent play from a political perspective. I struggle with it because there's a few of his policies that are just so bad, such deal breakers for me on a principled level that I, I personally would not support it. So sorry, that was a very roundabout monologue to get to my conclusion. Uh, I do think that RFK is seriously angling for it. And I think that he went on Dave's show, part of the problem, to try and convince Dave's audience because he knows that Dave is by far the most outspoken, popular, listened to leader of our movement. And he wants to convince them so that he can try and get that nomination because he can't get 50 state ballot access otherwise. As an independent, I think he's struggling mightily to get that. So I think that's what he's trying to do. He, he's trying to lease out the Libertarian Party for ballot access. So there's everything. Do with that information what you will. If you disagree, you agree. If you have any sort of uh, you know critiques as to my analysis, I'd love to hear it in the comments. I, I do read and respond to the vast majority of them. And let's let's hop into the what I think was a actual campaign killer for RFK Jr. by Dave Smith in this interview. It's a very short clip. Obviously, you know, realize that there's additional context that's missing. It's only 30 seconds. But I just want to give you my analysis and, and why I think it's so devastating to his campaign. You have concerns about um, the, the level of Israeli influence in our, our politics here in the United States of America. Now that wasn't, <laughs> that was not a freeze. My, my, your connection did not drop. That was actually how long it took him to respond. And if you looked at the opening clip, you can see there is no latency. There is no lag. I mean, if there is a lag, it's very, very minimal. Two tenths of a second or something like that. That was a full five count before he gave the answer. So let me back up and just let you hear how long it took him to process this, because this was a question I do not believe he was prepared for in the slightest. Influence in our, our politics here in the United States of America. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just I'm not, you know, I'm not a politician in political office, so I don't see much of that. I, I, so there you go. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's not a politician. So he doesn't see much of that. He goes on to say, you know, I'm, I'm opposed to all foreign influence in our, in our political establishment. So he does get to it eventually. He does get to the, the better political answer eventually, but he's just not being, he's being deceptive. That's, I think it's fairly clear. Um, Personally, you can disagree. I think he's being deceptive. I think he knows that it is a political non-starter to say that, yes, their influence is concerning. It is too much. There's too much. I mean, I don't know why it's not allowed to be said, given that any other foreign nation having influence over our politicians is obviously a problem. But it just happens to be this one country can't say it. And I think we know why. He's been on this apology tour ever since he talked about whether or not the uh, the sea was 
predisposed to different genetics and blah, blah, blah. And then he went on this massive apology tour to try and, you know, convince everybody that he wasn't a bigot. It's just totally ridiculous, but because I don't think what he was saying was at all bigoted, but that's that's what happened to him. And I think he's very afraid of it. And I think that there's a, a real distinct possibility. And I say this with all humility because I do not know. But there's a real distinct possibility that he has been compromised. And I've said this on prior episodes. I stand by it. I don't think that this man, given his his obvious capacity to analyze FBI fuckery, CDC, Fauci, uh, Ukraine, Russia, all of this nonsense, he's able to cut through the BS and kind of get to what I believe is close to the truth as to what's transpired. I mean, if you've read his book, The Real Anthony Fauci, unbelievable. I mean, the Cliff's Notes. This man is not an idiot. He's a fucking lawyer, and he's very, very good. When he wants to get to the truth of something, this dude does not struggle to do so. But when it comes to Palestine, he struggles mightily. Why? Why? I'll leave it there. You tell me why. You tell me why he can't get any, like, not even, not even 5% of the history of that conflict like actually nailed down like i'm not i'm not some expert on it but i've got 15 percent of it he can't get five just no the palestinians are the most coddled people on the planet all right dude well if that's your perspective i don't trust you anymore because you've proven to me that you are capable but you aren't capable here and i think there's a reason for it is it your uncle was it your dad was it the FBI and CDC that you're uh, for some, or not, excuse me, FBI and CIA that you're, for some reason, you're willing to speak out against despite what happened to them, which it takes a, a level of courage that is astonishing, astonishing courage. But when it comes to this, no, what the fuck is that? Is it your, was it your flight to the island? Was it? I, like, I don't want to think that, but it's just your level of courage on these other major third rail political issues. And then you have no courage here. S strange. Strange. So I'll, I'll leave that topic there. We've got a lot more to cover. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is once again brought to you by our friends over at Nadeau Shave Co. It's N-A-D-E-A-U Shave Co. Dot com. Use promo code LOCKDOWN to get yourself 15% off the best single blade stainless steel razor in the game. Not an exaggeration. Do you want the smoothest shaved head in the game just like Clint Russell? Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. Veteran-owned, family-operated Nadeau Shave Co. Enjoy your shave by going to N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. Stop sending your money to companies that hate you. Push back against the ESG nonsense and get you the best razor out there. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Again, that's nadoshaveco.com. Promo code lockdown. Get you one today. So a lot of people got mad about Trump's alleged take on what he would do regarding Ukraine. Michael Tracy tweeted, Trump finally elaborates on his Ukraine position. He says he'll get the European countries to match what the U.S. is sending to Ukraine. That's not a call for cutting off arms to Ukraine. It's a call for increasing arms. He also once again brags that he increased funding to NATO. Well, this is 
one of the more and I'm I've done panels uh, in person in New York with Michael Tracy. Uh, I don't have much of a negative opinion of the guy. In fact, I had a very positive opinion, but I watched the full three minutes and 50 second clip. I'm just going to show you the, the clip that he claims says that. And then I'm going to talk about it because this was very misleading. In fact, basically propagandistically negative against Trump. And I fell for it originally. And then I found the full clip and I realized, oh, that's not at all what he's talking about. And, you know, Ukraine's an interesting case. People always want to know my feeling. Number one, we're in for 200 billion plus, And the European nations are in for 20 billion. And it's more important for them. And don't you think they should equalize? Nobody asks them. It's like I did with NATO. I said, we're spending, we're, we're paying for NATO. And we don't get so much out of it. And you know, I hate to tell you this about NATO. If we ever needed their help, let's say we were attacked. I don't believe they'd be there. I don't believe. I know the people. I know them. I can tell you country by country who would be there and who. But I don't believe they'd be there. But I took care of NATO. I said, you got to pay your bills. If you don't pay your bills, we're not going to be there to support you. And the following day, the money came rolling into NATO. But the European nations, if you add them up, the economy is about the same size as the U.S. Believe it or not, a lot of people are surprised. You add them all up. And uh, they are in for about $20 billion, and we're in for $200 billion because we're stupid. All we have to do is say pay. Nobody ever says to them pay. You don't even hear that. I say pay. And they'll pay, too. You have to equalize. I don't, need, I don't even know where he gets that assessment. I guess it's the very first word here. Let's play it real quick. You know, Ukraine's an interesting case. People always want to know my feeling. Okay, so that's how he edits it so that it comes across as if that's what he's talking about. But really what Trump is talking about here is actually about the border, if you can believe it. He's talking about how they were trying to attach funding for the border, for border security, with the latest supplemental that they're trying to push for, uh, for Ukraine. And, and then he just goes into this, because he's an old dude, he just goes into a tangent <laughs> about his negotiations with NATO during his presidency. Uh, so total mislead, total misdirect. And I think you guys at this point should know I'm not biased in favor of Donald Trump. I'm pretty neutral on the guy. And I just don't, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He has said that he, he would end the Russia Ukraine war within 24 hours. Obviously I doubt that he's capable of doing that, but it's much more in alignment with what I would like to hear a politician or a future president say, than what Michael Tracy tries to portray him as saying is in that, oh, allegedly he's going to you know match whatever NATO sends Ukraine. He's going to match that. In fact, he's bragging about how like NATO's a joke and <laughs> like they they don't they don't pay for their own defense and that they wouldn't be for be there for us if we needed them. It's much more of a rant against the bill that was trying to pass or you know pair together border control along with U Ukraine funding and more of a rant about how dysfunctional and pathetic NATO is. I don't have any issues with either of those things, so I think that it's a it's a nothing burger and ultimately an attempt to tarnish him, which there's plenty of true things about the guy to tarnish him with, and I don't really appreciate it when people try and essentially make stuff up, and I think that's what that was. You guys can search for the full clip. I'm not going to play you the full three and a half minutes just because it's a waste of time to show you what what was left out. You can take my word for it or you can't. If you haven't learned, I'm pretty honest about this stuff. So 
Hopefully you can take my word for it. Now let's move on. We got uh, Sam Harris talking about how Tucker Carlson and Brett Weinstein have been misleading the American people when it comes to the border crisis. Once again, I'm going to have to go like, I'm going to have to go on a moratorium or something when it comes to Sam Harris clips because this man is so deranged. He's so detached from reality. It's almost like, it's like listening to the crazy dude on the bus next to you and then reporting on it. It's like, oh, the crazy dude on the bus said something crazy. Breaking news. <laughs> it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but in his case, this guy is still a somewhat respected public figure, member of the intellectual dark web and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this guy's a fucking lunatic, obviously. So <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say. This guy is wild. And then I'm going to show you some of the clip from the Tucker Carlson, Brett Weinstein interview, because I think it's one of the best interviews or most interesting interviews at minimum I've seen all year. So, yeah, I just I, I wouldn't know what to expect of Trump in a second administration around Israel. I mean, I was I would assume he would support it. But he, again, his the isolationist noises are, are um, you know, at cross purposes with that. Um, I mean, he, I just I view him as a as a moral lunatic who really thinks only of himself. So it's it's, it's hard to predict exactly what he would do. Um, but it's a. Um, Coming from the guy who endorsed lockdowns and masking of children and forced everything. He thinks only of himself, though. Has he has he reflected at all on what he got wrong during that era? The answer, of course, is no. I mean, I'm much more worried, frankly, that Biden will suffer an erosion of support for the op, you know, for, for other reasons on the kind of the opposite side of the political continuum I, among independents and others who are worried about the southern border, for instance. I mean, you only mm -hmm. need to see a few videos coming from the southern border and a few, um, you know, arguably um, uncharitable uh, framings of those videos by by propagandists from the other side. I mean, someone like Tucker Carlson uh, claiming that, look, look, this is Biden's policy. And then he'll show you people by the thousands coming into the you know coming across the border without any sign that 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 you know what we know who they are we can do anything about it it's actual federal government figures say that in december they had over 300,000 encounters which means 300,000 entered that means 10,000 a day so in what world is tucker carlson lying are you saying that the federal government figures are wrong because if you're saying that, then you're saying that they are the propagandists. And now, do you think that the federal government would deflate those numbers intentionally to lie? Or would they inflate them? Well, I think obviously the answer is they would deflate them. They don't want the issue to appear as severe as it is. So it's just, I mean, to call Tucker Carlson a propagandist, given that these are government statistics, is ridiculous. I mean, their, their own figures say... 2 million plus across the Texas border in the year 2023. And that's just one aspect of the border. That's enormous. That's an enormous amount, record-breaking amount. That I think a lot of people really care about. And um, especially in the aftermath of October 7th, right? The idea that we have a border that we just can't police, that we're not inclined to police, and we have no, and millions of people are coming to the country. We have no idea who they are, but we know at this point that 
they're not just Latin Americans looking for work. They're people from all over the world uh, and coming to here for who knows what purpose. You spin that up into a uh, conspiracy theory or just a, a, a uh, just a un uh, c- constrained fear of for the future. Um, it's uh, that's the issue. I think he has to get a handle on more than than signaling that it's daylight between him and Netanyahu. Where I think there, I mean, there should be daylight between him and Netanyahu because I think Net- Netanyahu is a a fairly Trumpian uh, and self serving character at this point. You know, I say he's he is somebody who is at least in part culpable for the problem Israel finds itself in. Hey, he finally said something I agree with. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> but, I mean, just the, the entire framing on that is so detached from reality and, and so, I mean, it just basically it's a smear against Tucker Carlson. Now, let's hop into the, the interview between Tucker and Brett to see why I think it's so fascinating. Keep in mind, Brett is a lefty. Brett comes, he's of the left. And he went to the Darien Gap, which is the, there's basically a, a highway that runs all the way from Alaska to the bottom of South America. And there's just this one little gap that, I mean, it's not that little, but there's this one little gap that runs straight through the rainforest that does not have any road. And that's called the Darien Gap. So Brett Weinstein went down there and he checked out everything that he could lay his eyes on to see if he could get a feel for what was going on. And his findings are absolutely jaw-droppingly fascinating. So take it with a grain of salt. This is his assessment, but it's it's worth listening to and processing for sure. So first up, he talks about the military members that were thrown out over the past three years. You can guess as to why. Still don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, so I'll just play what he says after that. Now, my sense at the time was that that likely had the purpose of getting rid of the kinds of people who refuse yes. moral orders That's right. and that it created a much more compliant force. Now, what happens if migrants are given citizenship in exchange for military service in the U.S. military? That seems to create a major hazard because the perverse incentives for a migrant and the lack of allegiance to fundamental American values means that that would be just the kind of force that could be used to impose tyranny on other Americans because, uh, because they would have, you know, no history with us that would cause them to think twice. We've seen this before with the Roman legions. Um, that's exactly my conclusion. Um, does that sound like a crazy conclusion? Uh, I think we have to stop punishing ourselves for considering things that once seemed crazy. But the pattern of recent <laughs> history. I'm sorry, can I, I want to repeat that. I think we have to stop punishing ourselves for considering things that once seemed crazy. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> if, you've, if you've been watching or listening to me for a few years now, uh, I think you're probably in the same boat as I am where things that once seemed totally crazy, like, I don't know, could they lock down the global economy? <laughs> uh, and now seem like, oh yeah, that's a, yeah, they did that. So anything's possible. And I think that his, his thesis, and this is actually something that I talked about over a year ago when those mandates were put in force for the military members and you had thousands of military members that were thrown out 
because they refused myself and many other people in my community were like, well, why, why, why would they possibly do that? Given that like their, their claim was that it was over military readiness. Well, we all have to get it because otherwise we aren't, or we're not military ready. But then when you see the latest studies and you realize, oh, that actually did not make us more ready. Quite the contrary. You have to ask yourself, okay, well, did they, did they get duped? Given that they, they were negotiating with, uh, you know, big pharma, they had Fauci, obviously a whole bunch of alleged experts that were responsible for that decision in terms of advising Biden on whether or not that was a, a prudent course of action to take. And they concluded, yes, yes, it was. So why? Why? Because they got it wrong. We know that. So if they got it wrong, why did they do it? Was it just an accident? I'm not so sure. Can I say definitively? No, I can't. But I think knowing what we know today, you have to start to consider nefarious alternatives. Consider, not conclude, consider. And I think that as time has gone on, it becomes more evident that the nefarious option starts to become more probable than the benign one, or maybe not benign, but the unintentional one. And that's, that's basically what Tucker Carlson and who's a right winger and Brett Weinstein, who's a left winger and Clint Russell, who's a libertarian are all saying. So this is a tripartisan analysis conclusion. Now, does that mean because it's tripartisan, does that make us right? No, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't, but it, it means that it's not some super fringe concept at this point. And I think this is exactly why Tucker Carlson was pushed off of Fox news because they don't like conversations about stuff like this. You are not allowed to have conversations with stuff like this. And if you do it across the political aisle and you put it out to 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, 30 million people on X. Oh, that's a problem, dude. That's a real big problem because there's a lot of people sitting at home that realize that they've been deceived terribly. And now they're seeing a bunch of people that they respect that appear not to be viewing this in a totally partisan fashion, all coming to the same kind of hunch that they had and starting to conclude maybe this is plausible. Now you start to get real rebellious feelings amongst the people. And I think that's probably what's happening. And I don't blame people for feeling that way. If, if this analysis is accurate, it is absolutely damning towards the federal government in this decision-making process. And we have to wonder why. So he gets into it a little bit later as to the why, and it is startling. Now I'll be the first to admit this one, this part of his, uh, you know, thesis, my initial reaction was like, cuckoo, totally nuts. So I am not saying I endorse this one at all, but it is fascinating. Here's the part that I, uh, suddenly realized as soon as he reminded me of that. I wrote an essay years ago about the one child policy and the paradox of a heavy bias in favor of males. And the reason that this is a paradox is that there's a principle in evolution well understood. It's the result of the work of a guy named Ronald Fisher. And what Fisher realized was that although males and females can be very different in how many offspring they produce, and because a male could produce thousands of offspring in a lifetime and a female 
if we're talking about humans, could I think the maximum is something impressive like 60. But um, nonetheless, because males can produce a lot more, it seems that it might be evolutionarily advantageous to be one. But it's not because for every overperforming male, there's an underperforming right. male or at least one. And the result is that sex ratios, no matter how different males and females are in their maximum reproductive capacity, they tend to default to one to one. If you have a society that has too many females, you should produce a male. And if you have a society with too many males, you should produce a female, which tends to balance these things out. That logic should have applied to China. The fact is there were lots of excess males. And if you put yourself in the mindset of a Chinese person having a child, if there are too many males, you should want to produce a female. A male is very unlikely to find a mate. A female is certain to find one. And what's more, she has her pick of the litter. Yes. So that logic should have caused the sex ratio to return to 50-50, and yet it did not, which caused me all those years ago when I wrote this piece to wonder if there wasn't another evolutionary force in play. If evolution did not have a mechanism for producing armies, that when a, a country was in a position to expand that producing excess males does pay off at a lineage level that excess males who have no reproductive prospects at home become an effective weapon against neighboring populations so i can't believe that that did not occur to me as i was um, preparing for this trip but uh it has occurred to me now i guess it didn't occur to me because when i wrote that all those years ago, I was expecting to see evidence that this was turning into a military force and I didn't see it. So I stopped thinking about it. Um, but now I wonder if that isn't exactly right. And if what happened is that um, a male biased population in China was produced as a weapon. And if that weapon is now being deployed. That's remarkable. So that would so so far we have the U.S. government abetting this, a branch of the U.N., Chinese government. So obviously the reason I initially dismissed his theory is because he was basing it off of evolutionary pressures, saying that it should naturally balance itself out. Well, if you have a one-child policy, which is obviously a government constraint, I don't believe government interference can be constituted or analyzed and then conclude, well, this is an evolutionary process. Like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think that is a man-made interference with the evolutionary process, which is why you had so many more men, because if you could only have one child, you wanted to have someone who could help in the field, for instance, and not that women can't, but you know, men are thought to be stronger and, and therefore would be more beneficial to the family. If you can only have one, you want it to be a boy, despite the fact that, you know, maybe maybe long-term this is a negative for your family because they won't be able to find a partner because the nation's not going to have enough women to pair with all of the men. But at the without knowing what the future holds in the now, you conclude, well, then we better get rid of this little girl that we just had and we better just hold on to this boy. And I thought that's that's enough to explain it. But what I do think is interesting is that if, because the Chinese government is known to think not in you know, what's the next fiscal year going to be, not even what the next decade's going to be, but rather what will the next century millennia be? Um, could they, could they be thinking that far ahead? 
And could they actually have done this to have a surplus of men? Because as most people understand, if you, if you have a tremendous population of males that can't find mates, they become basically war fighters. Like they're, they're willing to, to risk it all because they have nothing for themselves at home. And this is what you see with the, the migrant crisis too, is like, it's a lot of young men that are coming across because they're like, I'm one, I'm capable of getting there, but two, I have no opportunities wherever I'm at or wherever I'm from. So I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go for it. Well, that same attitude applies to, are you willing to go fight in a war? Now I don't, I I've been very hesitant to accept any assessments because there's a ton of fear mongering when it comes to China. And as a non-interventionist and as an anti-war person, I very much do not want a war with China, much less anybody else on earth. However, that doesn't mean that totalitarian nations don't do sinister shit sometimes because they do. There's a litany of examples. We just lived through some of it. So I don't think I need to educate you on that. Um, but when you include their laboratory, you include EcoHealth, you include Fauci, you include that whole thing. And then you see this one child policy, which creates this surplus of hundreds of thousands of unmarried men that have basically no prospects for marriage either. Or not, excuse me, not hundreds of thousands, millions. <laughs> I way understated that one, maybe hundreds of millions. And you go, wow, interesting. Interesting. Um, let's let's back up a little bit in that interview and let me show you what his assessment was of the Chinese migrants that were coming through the Darien Gap because it's pretty interesting how he differentiates between those immigrants and the others. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is once again brought to you by our friends over at Phoenix Ammunition. F-E-N-I-X. That's right. Phoenix Ammunition. The supplier to the militia industrial complex. Look, there are very few companies that I will even accept as a sponsor. And this company, oh, you betcha. Very, very proud to have them as a sponsor. I think that they are some of the most savage motherfuckers on the planet. And I mean that sincerely. Big, big fan of what they do, what they believe in, and maybe even most importantly, what they produce. The quality of what they make which is ammo, not for the cops, not for the military, for you, the American people, which the Second Amendment was written for. Phoenix Ammunition, no promo code, none needed. They got great discounts when you buy in bulk. F-E-N-I-X Ammunition, that's phoenixammo.com. Do not get your ammo anywhere else. phoenixammo.com. Camp called San Vicente. And everything in San Vicente is different than it was at Canaan Mambrio. San Vicente, first of all, it's not a town. This is a camp that is built as a transit camp. It's built of containers and various objects to house people. And it is almost entirely Chinese. Now there were Chinese folks. Chinese? Chinese. That's a long way from China. It sure is. And what's more, in this camp, the rule that you're able to go in and walk around and talk to people is not in evidence. 
the Cenefront, the Panamanian border control, actually forbid us to go into the camp. So we had to stay on the outside of it. We were also forbidden to photograph it. So what photographs we have were uh, taken covertly. Um, but the most striking thing... Wait, may I ask, does, so is it the government of China? Do you believe that's funding this? I, well, let me tell you the other thing I found, and then I think the answer to that will become clearer. Outside of the San Vicente camp, the Chinese migrants are, um, you can interact with them. There are a couple of shops where they go to buy water or snacks or whatever. And so you can interact with them at those places. They are the opposite of forthcoming. They have no interest in talking to outsiders. And I've been to dangerous places before. I've been to places where people fear their government and can't talk to you because they feel it's not safe. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt like people who did not want to share information because it would be a mistake to do so. And what's more, there was an incident where Michael, who has lived in China, he's been all over the world, and he started up or tried to start up a conversation with uh, a guy who claimed to be from Korea. And Michael tripped him up and got him to speak Chinese. And then there was uproarious laughter at the fact um, that he had tried to pull this caper on Michael. So it is not a friendly migration. These uh, Chinese folks who are overwhelmingly male, military age. There are women present. I realized only this morning that in thinking back, I saw few, if any, children in the Chinese migration. They were everywhere in the other places we visited, but they were not present, as far as I remember, in the, in the San Vicente camp. So what I have pieced together, and this is a place where I'm going to speculate. This is a hypothesis. This is not a conclusion. But what I began to suspect was that the Chinese migration is actually being cloaked by the economic migration coming from South America. And that that um, is consistent with the observation that it has some different motivation. Now, I learned from Michael that the Chinese migrants in the San Vicente camp largely bypassed the Darien. They, because they have money, they, they can go by boat and they can skip most of the peril of the Darien Gap. And uh, in any case, it's a very different phenomenon. And to see it housed so separately is quite conspicuous. I do not know what the rationale for this- Can you estimate, do you have any- So this is anecdotal. This is one man's assessment. Maybe it's a cultural divide. Maybe they're afraid to speak because they are fleeing from the CCP and they're horrified. But I've, I've watched other documentaries. I watched that Muckraker documentary because I'm really trying to understand this. You know, I'm, I'm not coming at it from a biased perspective. I really want to understand, like, what's the truth? Is this just economic migrants? Is it, is it that simple? Because that's, I'd say, to a large extent, that's what it is, of course. But when you see these figures that are approaching three, four million annually, 
if not significantly higher, as I've said before. And that's so, I mean, it's like 10x what we've seen just a few years ago. You have to, and, and by a few years ago, I mean record highs. Never seen numbers like this ever. Is it organic? Is it? Because if it is, well, then it's just a tragedy, but it's nothing to fear aside from it being a tragedy. Uh, his assessment is essentially that he believes that the CCP is sending these people, he calls them sleepwalkers, because uh, they, they're walking as, uh, as opposed to sleeper cells. That's his assessment. And he concludes that there's real reason to be concerned about a potential attack domestically on America. Now, as I've already disclaimed, I am always hesitant. In fact, so hesitant to spread any sort of fear-mongering propaganda about any other nation that I almost considered not covering this because I can't say definitively. So instead, I'm just going to disclaim, 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 and say this is one man's assessment, but it is an absolutely fascinating one. And I think it's worth further inquiry. I think it's worth further investigation. We have to know if perhaps his assessment is correct. Now, at the last 10 minutes of this, he goes on to give a even more horrifying hypothesis that is so wild I can't even play it here because otherwise it will get kicked off. So I'm going to have to just encourage you guys to go to X, go to Tucker Carlson's page and watch the last 10 minutes for yourselves. So I'm just going to be able to talk about it as broadly as I can without getting in trouble. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get the message to the most people without running afoul of the terms. So got to do what you got to do, right? Um, <laughs> but his thesis is that there is a potential that our immune systems are depleted and that we are ripe for an attack. And I can't give any further details. I'm sure you guys are smart enough to conclude what he's what I'm hinting at and what he's saying fairly explicitly. And when you realize that the whole campaign to get that substance put in every man, woman, and child all over the all over the planet was not given to the Chinese population. It was not. They did not get the same stuff. You really got to wonder why. You have to ask why. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's that they were being created in America. The Chinese don't trust the uh, American pharmaceutical industry, which they probably shouldn't. So they, they produced their own and that's why they went that direction. And it's totally benign or it's the most sinister reason imaginable. And Brett is also very careful to say he's not coming to a hard conclusion either. So I don't want you to come to a hard conclusion, but I would feel terrible if I didn't at least put this idea in your mind for you to tussle with, for you to consider yourself. Cause it is, it's a very, very concerning one. It's about an hour and a 20 minute interview. And it is fascinating. One of, one of the most interesting interviews I've seen in a very long time, simply because I think that a lot of the questions that I've been left with from the whole lockdown era, like things that are still really in doubt, he kind of, he takes a bunch of them and he puts them all together into a thesis that both works, which is hard to do 
seems plausible and is also very concerning. <laughs> so I wish I wish that wasn't what had happened. I wish you know there was not a a you know a master plan that could describe this, and I wish that it was all just government stupidity that got us here. But it could be more than that, and uh, stay tuned as to whether or not it is. But God help us all if He's right, because this is not good news. Very, very not good news. Haven't given you guys an economic rant in a while, so leave it to Elizabeth Warren <laughs> to uh, to set us off. She sent this smoke signal on X the other day. Said, when the Fed hikes interest rates as quickly and as high as it has, it raises costs for working families. Well, pause. Need to explain that one. <laughs> she says, so when the Fed hikes interest rates as quickly and as high as it has, it raises costs for working families. Wrong. No, what it does do is it raises the cost of debt. It does not raise the cost of things broadly. In fact, higher interest rates decreases uh, prices over time. So that's just a lie because it decreases demand. So she's absolutely lying. The very first sentence out of the gate, wrong, 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 wrong. Continuing, just look at housing. Mortgage rates go up. And so do rents when fewer people invest in building new housing. Not really accurate, but it, it requires further explanation. She says mortgage rates go up and so do rents. Well, when, <laughs> when you elevate interest rates, yes, mortgage rates do go up. Uh, and theoretically, pricing will come down if you give it enough time, but you have to allow inventory to rise. The reason inventory would rise because of these elevated interest rates would, because, would be because it creates defaults as people in adjustable rate mortgages and others decide to sell as opposed to dealing with the higher payments. It also, because the, the, the real problem here is that they raised rates so fast. Normally in a, it's not even a free market, in a, in a healthier Federal Reserve policy, you don't whipsaw people. You don't drive rates down to zero, hold them there for 15 years, and then jack them to five and a half or six percent, which puts mortgage rates takes takes them in a wild swing from three percent up to eight. You don't do that because it creates dislocation and, and economic signals that are totally disjointed and fucks everybody up. And the reason that your even though we have record uh, house prices right now, the reason you're not seeing inventory hit the market as fast as you would normally is that developers, even though they are building quite a bit, they are not building as they would if they had one lower interest rates because they want they have to be able to sell these homes into that market and they want to have some certainty as to whether or not there will be buyers at the end of the development process because even the fastest uh, you know, planning and building of a large housing development is going to be probably 18 months. So you have to have some level of clarity as to what interest rates are going to be a year or two down the road. They don't have that because the Fed has demonstrated that they're willing to do just about anything. If you're willing to take rates from the zero bound north of 5% in a year, well, then maybe you're willing to take it from 5 to 10% over the next year. Or maybe you're Maybe you're willing to take it from five to zero. The people that think they're going to drive rates down again, those are the developers that are out there that are building as fast as possible because they think that they're going to be able to sell into uh, the bubble market 
And then you have other developers like myself who are like, get the fuck out of here. I have no clarity as to what's coming down the, the road. And I'm not going to be investing at all because I have no idea what the uh, market price of these houses will be by the time they're ready for sale. So the government's policies have fucking broken this market on multiple fronts. You also had the foreclosure and eviction moratorium, which kept people in their housing. You also had the COVID bailout, which uh, put you know billions of dollars into people's pockets, which uh, not to mention unemployment insurance and other uh, bailouts through the stimulus during those years that kept people in houses that they otherwise would have sold when you locked down the fucking economy, but you didn't allow that. So that kept inventory artificially low, extremely, extremely low, and it still is yet to recover. So you have prices that have gone absolutely through the roof because there's not enough housing to meet the demand. Fairly simple. Well, maybe not simple, but I hope I explained it in a way that you can process it. And then she finishes with, to bring down costs, the Fed needs to start lowering interest rates. The exact opposite of what you ought to be doing. She says that you have to, <laughs> you have to lower interest rates to bring down costs. Well, if you lower interest rates, it increases demand, which means that prices rise. She's a liar. She's a moron. She's a thief. She's a criminal. She's whatever, whatever you want to say, whatever you, your assessment is to as to her character. Let's just boil it down to this. She's wrong. She's dangerously, dangerously wrong. And her advice here is terrible. Absolutely terrible. Now, the other reason that prices haven't dropped is because they printed trillions of dollars. Hello? And that that is really where inflation comes from. I've been I've been shifting between monetary or price inflation and monetary inflation. But you know, what people care about is prices or are prices. Like People are devastated because the price of everything is through the roof, even though the Biden administration is consistently bragging about how inflation is down to 5% now. Well, that means inflation is actually up by 5%. That means that you're paying 5% more for your basket of goods uh, versus 12 months ago. But in reality, the way that they calculate that is total bullshit because it's they exclude a bunch of things that you absolutely need to live. Uh, to try and artificially make that number look lower than it is. So what's the real inflation rate? I don't know, 8 10%, something in that ballpark, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, but that's on top of the record inflation in my lifetime that we've been dealing with for the past two years because of all of the stimulus uh, printing. And your building, your baseline is like this. You go, here's here's baseline. This is 2020. Well, inflation spikes to 10%. So the baseline's here. Now inflation drops to 8%. So the baseline's here. Now inflation drops to 5%. So the baseline's here. Now this is now this is the gap between 2020 and 2024. Does that feel good? It's terrible. Your purchasing power has been decreased on some goods by half. That's how that's how severe this is. When you hear all oh, real estate's doubled in this market over the past four years, that means your purchasing power decreased by half over the past four years because of nothing but government interference in the free market has nothing to do with the actual economy because we don't have a free market economy. We just have this control command economy. It's a disaster and it is absolutely brutalizing the middle class and the poor to the benefit of the rich and the powerful. It's evil, it's unspeakably evil. And the fact that a politician like Liz Warren would get up there and lie to her constituents, she's got probably a million followers on Twitter or whatever, just lie through her teeth 
as to what's actually transpired. It's reprehensible. So I wanted to give you a quick primer as to what's actually happened. The answer, as always, is to end the Fed. But the other answer, if you're not going to take the real solution, is to at least maintain interest rates where they are now or maybe continue to hike them ever so slightly, create a recession, which is what we desperately need, and then allow for the housing market to be liquidated. What you want to see is the people that are sitting on thousands and thousands of vacant Airbnbs to sell. What you want to see is the BlackRock State Street vanguards of the world that are sitting on millions of housing units. You want them to sell. You want them to get out of that fucking market. They would actually do so if the market were softening, but they don't see it softening because they're all sitting on this fucking inventory. So what do they do? They're going to wait. But if you but that's because they expect the Fed to pivot. If the Fed does not pivot, they will almost certainly start to liquidate, in which case you would actually finally get buying opportunities. You would actually see deflation, broad-based deflation, which is what would be healthy for the American people, which is why it probably won't happen. <laughs> All right, let's wrap with a couple things here. First up, the great Robin Williams roasting the baking industry. I thought this was humorous. Like a group of junkies who relapsed going, listen, man, I just need some liquidity. You know what I'm saying? I just ran into some bad subprime, you know? We just had complex formulas. We just didn't factor in greed and panic, you know? I just need $805 billion by Tuesday. Yeah, no, seriously. No, I would, I would not screw you again. It's pretty crazy. I've learned my lesson. Oh, no, baby, this is not like the other time. This, oh, no, this is, no, seriously, I just... Throw me a bed here, man. Just give me, Help me out. Just give me a little bit. Yeah, just a taste. That's all I need is a taste. Just, I need $2.5 trillion. Can't be, can't be, I'll pay you back. Give me through one week. Yeah, it's like one they're week. Gonna, they're going to print out a new $20 bill. The new Geithner $20 bill will be, you know, instead of in God we trust, it'll just say, trust me. So obviously, uh, Robin Williams, he had a pretty good analysis as to what was transpiring. What I think is funny about that is the figure that he references is we need 805 billion by Tuesday. Oh, that's chump chains. That's chump change, Mr. Williams. Uh, we, we do, we do stimulus to the tune of trillions now, many, many trillions, like four or five, six, six trillion a year. It's insane. It's insane. But, uh, I thought it would be fun to end my sad rant with a humorous perspective on it, but these people really are drug addicts. Uh, and the the drug that they're addicted to is printed capital or at least electronically distributed nothing. I mean, because that's really what it is. Uh, two more things and we'll wrap. First up, we got actually, no, I'm just going to do one. This was a, a fascinating clip about the J6 uh, hearings from PBS. And I thought it was worth talking about real quick. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. The one thing that we knew was the information that we have is compelling. The thing we needed to do was tell that to the American people in a compelling way. So that's why we brought in a former president of ABC News. Yeah, I got a call pretty much out of the blue um, from the January the 6th committee. They wanted, they wanted a storyteller. And while they were brilliant, they were brilliant lawyers. Storytelling for a mass audience is not what they do. 
to bring in a guy like this who would think outside the box really did prove to be fruitful. And it was Goldston who really began to envision this as, in a way, a kind of mini-series, that there would be you know, sort of nine episodes and that these episodes would tackle particular themes. Attack on the Capitol, the investigation. The first hearing was primetime television. As the nation is about to witness a defining moment, the first hearing before the country, the results of the January 6th investigation. This is an extraordinary moment in American history. When it came to that first hearing, we knew how high the stakes were. Is about to hold its first primetime hearing. We were either gonna, you know, make people realize that this was important, you know, or once, once you've lost them, you've, you've lost them for good. On the evening of June 9th, 8.01 p.m., the doors opened. My heart was beating pretty fast on June 9th. And it, it was a real question uh, of, is this gonna work or not? All right, everybody, here we go. You get the idea. I, I, it's just, it's amazing. This is kind of like when they said they, they uh, was it not reinforced? I think it was reinforced the election. I don't know what they called it from that time piece uh, back in 2021, but <clears throat> the just the brazenness with which they, they brag about their manipulation of the American people, that they're willing to do a PBS special where they go like, yeah, we brought in the, you know, the creative director from ABC because we had to really craft this narrative in a compelling way. I mean, you're just, it's just obviously the case that you're being propagandized in case you didn't know, <laughs> which if you didn't know by now, I don't know, man. Uh, but I just love it when they like, they take the mask off and they're like, Hey, we're fucking your brain up. We're absolutely manipulating every, everything you see, think, hear, feel. We are trying to just mind fuck you into having no idea what the reality of the situation is. And if you are dumb, you'll come to the conclusion that we want you to. So basically you have the, the blue pill who just take all of this nonsense at face value and they go, oh, it was an insurrection. Oh, it was, you know, he tried to take over the government. No one had any firearms, but still... Uh, did any cops die? No, but there was like, you know, a bunch of people that died, but uh, wait, oh, were they the ones that were protesting or they were the ones defending the Capitol? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The blue pill, except whatever they're force fed by the fucking mockingbird folks. And then you have the other people who are critical thinking, who look at all this and they go, doesn't sit right with me, but I don't really know what happened, man. And they just give up. And then you have the the 5% or something of the population that actually dives deep, probably you guys, and you go, yeah, I think I have a pretty a, a good idea what happened, and it's the exact opposite of what I was told. Oops. And and then you go and you talk to your, your friends at work or at the, around the water cooler, and you go, yeah, dude, I don't think that's actually what happened. And everybody looks at you like you're fucking out of your mind because you're the only one that's not. <laughs> it sucks, dude. It sucks. I feel for you guys. I really do. I hope I hope you uh, you feel a level of kinship by <laughs> listening to me every week and going like, yeah, see, I'm not crazy. Clint and I get it. It's just everybody else that's out of their fucking mind because <laughs> that's really the truth. It really is. And I know it sounds, you know, it makes you feel crazy to even feel that way, but it's, it's true. We're the only ones that aren't crazy. What a crazy world. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in as always. Continue to leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Got like 50 more. Actually, yeah, 
I got to read a few to you. First up, we got Brakir. By the way, if you want to leave a five-star review, just go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, wherever you're listening, leave positive reviews, five stars or whatever the maximum review is that you're able to do. It really helps the algorithm. We just hit 800 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely incredible. Really appreciate it. If we get to 1,000, I'm going to be... I'm going to be blown away. Uh, Burkir says, I must listen. I've long since given up on legacy media. This show is wonderful for anyone interested in knowing the truth about what's going on in the world today on a variety of topics, but especially political. Keep up the great work, Clint. Well, thank you, Burkir. Uh, Rai Rai Avril 89 says, one of the great libertarian podcasts out there. Great work, Clint. You are doing great work, brother. Thank you. Bales 400 says, five stars. Keep keep them coming. You asked for feedback feedback please do not stop putting out these episodes this is one of my favorites and i share with anyone that's ready to listen well as long as you keep sharing as long as more people keep listening i'll keep doing it but if you want to add to the incentive to have me keep doing it libertylockdown.locals.com sign up to become a sporting member because i don't make very much money doing this this is really a passion project but i would like to make some fucking money doing it because i spend all of my free time doing it uh and then also if you want to subscribe on x at liberty lock pod i will follow you back Paul Beck says five stars. Liberty Lockdown. Clint, your show and Dave's show have been such clarifying therapy for me. I cannot thank you enough for crystallizing why I am a libertarian and why even if we don't win, a vote for the Uniparty is just not worth anything. Thank you so much for what you do. Everyone should be waiting for Clint's podcast to drop. I know I am. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, Me1777 says thank you. Keep up the good work. Rob Kramlick says great show, great insights. Clint does a great job of at advocating for liberty, but not quite at Dave Smith's level, you son of a bitch, you. You're absolutely right. Professor of CS, five stars. Liberty Lockdown. Oh, I used to not like the rants and wished for more logic instead of emotion like with Dave Smith, but I must say that the rants have grown on me, and I think they are a necessary component of the discussion. Fuck yeah, brother. Let's go. Yeah, the rants are fucking fun, dude. We can't, we can't always just be like rational and logical sometimes you just gotta feel this shit and be like i fucking hate all this you know what i mean makes us feel like we're less alone hopper 2001 says five stars time to win woo woo speak the truth motherfucking right and last one reset says five stars thoughtful honest always learn a ton from this podcast the perspectives here have fundamentally changed my way of thinking about the world the economy and global politics i'm relatively new to the podcast and every time i listen i walk away thinking it's the only thing that has made any sense to me in years that's so cool follow it follow up beyond covid spending time on the wars and the evil that is happening which we are forced to pay for both in gaza and ukraine will help consolidate support in my opinion love and support your work thank you so much uh man 800 800 on apple Podcasts alone hundreds more on on spotify it's fucking crazy we're doing it it's happening like this is this is going to be a show for decades i think and that's crazy i saw this in may of 2020 i was anonymous for the first six months i was doing it no one even knew what my name was or who i or what i looked like i just went by clint that was it uh and a Fat chick in a American flag bikini was my avatar, and that was that's all anybody knew me as. Uh, to have come from that to twenty thousand listeners per episode, to doing a show with Luke Radowski, who's responsible for co-producing Loose Change, who's a co-host on Timcast IRL. I've done Timcast IRL eight times. I've done Part of the Problem four times. I've done so many Kim Iverson twice, and like the fucking list is 
endless. I, I could, I've done hundreds and hundreds of guest spots on shows that are absolutely enormous. The show I do with Luke does over 100,000 listeners every single time we hit record. That's uh, the best political show. I have an exclusive deal with Rumble. I travel all over the country. I'm running for the vice president of the fucking United States. The list. I mean, just, I think I just got like, I got taken aback by just detailing what I just said to you guys. It's absolutely flooring how different my life is and how much more fulfilled I am and hopeful I am despite all of the darkness that I'm staring into. Uh, I really, really believe that there is there is magic in this message, and I just hope I'm right. We'll see. Hit the subscription button, leave a comment, and most importantly, share it. But really most importantly, give your mom a hug. See you soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?